What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the I'm Talking TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Wednesday, or excuse me, Tuesday, September 27th, or Wednesday, September 28th, final full week of the month of September, the year 2022. Lots to talk about uh, here on this uh, midweek uh, program. We uh, recap and dissect. Uh, the week three, or excuse me, the third week of the National Football League of the 2022 uh, season. Uh, of course, preview um, my Cincinnati Bengals taking on the uh, Miami Dolphins coming up on Thursday night. Daniel Oye Fusi, who we haven't had on a long time, beat writer for the Miami Dolphins of the that of the Miami Herald, will join us a little bit later on in the show to uh, give us a little bit of a uh, Dolphins feel as we head into the game on Thursday night. Also, uh, touch on Albert Pujols' 700 home runs uh, and just a busy, busy week as far as uh, sports is concerned with the NFL. Albert Pujols got a 700. I will, uh, of course, give, give my uh, two uh, cents on uh, Brett, on, uh, Brett Favre coming up later in the week, I promise. Uh, it's, it's a lot, not a lot going on as far as like sports play, but just, you know, there's so much content uh, and so little time that yours truly's got to fill the uh, got to fill fill the uh, airtime with. So let's jump right into it. With the uh, game of week three is definitely certainly the game of the Sunday afternoon uh, of the Sunday early afternoon window, and that is the Miami Dolphins uh, somehow some way uh, are are still the only undefeated team. <laughs> In the AFC, with a record of tw- with a record of three and zero, taking care of business against the uh, highly favored and the uh, media darling that is the Buffalo Bills by a final score of twenty one to nineteen, uh, and what was just an absolute. We thought, you know, I, you thought that this game, you know, had thirty eight thirty five or thirty five twenty eight or. 3128 or uh or 4235 written all over it and lo and behold this game only combined for a mere of of uh, 40 points but a sensational job by two attack Valoa. I mean I tell you so does the now comp, now obviously his you look at his stat sheet it's night and day compared to the to compared to the numbers he put up in week uh, 2 in Baltimore against the Ravens uh, with six, with the uh, with the uh, six touchdown passes, but still was efficient. Nevertheless, thirteen and eighteen, threw for one hundred and eighty six passing yards, one touchdown. Uh, was very effective on the afternoon. How about Jalen Waddle four receptions, a bucko two, uh, and an absolute uh, an absolute must needed performance by him off of us uh, off of six receptions. Uh, but the main thing, and it's a, and it's a couple things I want to touch on this game. We go through the recap of the early one o'clock games here, then take a break and then get to the two, get to uh, the, then get to the other games in week three. You know, with Miami, this is my thoughts with Miami take coming out of this game. Um, it shows that Miami is a tough, gritty, feisty football team that is not going to be an easy out that you got to give 110% against in order in order for you to beat them. You got to make sure that you are giving it your best that you're not leaving scoring opportunities on the table like Buffalo did, which we'll get to in a minute. You got to bring a game against the Miami Dolphins because and and this is not 
uh, and this is not um, and this is not anything as far as you know, like we didn't know this about Miami that they're like a la like the Giants, where they are you know where they got a coach and trying to change the culture and bring the way back the respectability and not and basically you know change the fact that they change the easy win the easy little check mark win next to their name when the schedule comes out in the off season it's like oh, okay giants win okay dolphin so it's like the dolphins have been that over the last few seasons the problem is just the problem has just been what has just been being able to score points and being able to hang and being able to hang with the big dogs such as buffalo such as uh well i wouldn't say the big dogs but you know beating new england of course Certain taking down Belichick, no matter how weight and no matter what year it is, regardless who's that quarterback, is always something. If you're at least if you're a Dolphins fan, you will uh, you'll put a little feather in your cap of taking care of business against the Patriots, which they did in week one. But their victory, and of course, obviously against the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, who was utterworldly, and uh, and Tua said, Whatever Lamar can do, I can do better, and went out there and had the fourth quarter of his life. Uh, in the Ravens game, but you know, give Miami a ton of credit. And when you look at the box score of this game, you know, and you you don't look at the you don't look at the final score, you don't look at uh you know you don't look at uh the touch who threw what touchdown who got you you or actually actually you could actually you could really honestly look at who threw what touchdown. But if you don't look at the score, you look at the stat sheet and you see that uh that Buffalo had 16 more first downs than the Dolphins did. They ran 90 plays they ran 90 plays compared to the Dolphins 39. They had an all, they had almost 500 total yards. They almost had 500 yards of total offense to the Dolphins mere 212. Uh Josh Allen threw for 400 yards and two touchdown passes did not turn did not uh have one did not have one interception. The Bills ran for 150 yards on the ground compared to the Dolphins 41. And the and you also consider the fact that the Bills blew the Dolphins out of the water by 20 points or thereabouts in time of possession 40-40 to the Dolphins 19-20. But the box score and the stat sheet does not tell the whole story. What doesn't tell the story, even if you want to stick with the box score and the stat sheet, it doesn't tell the whole story because you go ahead and you look. Well, what was, uh, well, you go ahead and you look. Well, what was Dolph, what was, what were the Dolphins like inside the red zone in this game? They were a perfect three of three. The, the, uh, the Buffalo Bills, two of four. Buffalo, seven penalties for 52 yards. Dolphins, four penalties for 20 yards. So when you get down to the see when you get down to the nitty gritty, red zone efficiency, penalties, turnovers is what can, is is what is what this game honestly came down to. Not to mention Buffalo was eleven for eighteen on third down, so it was two of three on fourth. But the three difference makers, if you want to go by the the, uh, the total stats, the t- the team stat sheet. It, you these are the three things you got to go by penalties red zone efficiency and turnovers those three things the dolphins up and down did better than buffalo did buffalo kicked on this on the stat going off the stat sheet buffalo kicked the dolphins ass in every category 
except three. And in those three categories, especially, you know, if you can't put, if you can't score touchdowns when you got the ball in the end zone multiple times, you went you and you lose the turnover battle, and you don't commit as and you uh and you let your opponent beat themselves as far as committing the penalties, and you stay disciplined. You don't commit that many penalties, and the penalties you do, they don't they don't they aren't in chunks, they aren't in bulks. For a for a perfect example, only twenty yards off of four penalties. That's five yards a penalty. So if so if if you win in those in those three categories. You got a good enough chance to win, and basically that's what the Dolphins' formula was. You know, they were they were not too many penalties, perfect inside the red zone. Dolphins two of four, and they won a turnover battle. Bum, uh, the bu- Buffalo threw uh, fumbled fumbled away football, lost it. Another thing too, you want to keep an eye on with this game as well is that the time of possession. Well, they forty min. Well, Buffalo had the ball forty minutes and forty seconds to the Dolphins nineteen twenty. Yeah, that's great. If time of possession is good because it shows that you're working the clock, you're keeping your opponent's offense on the sideline. Meanwhile, your opponent, your opposing defense is on the field for a long time, getting gassed in that in that 99 degree uh, south South Florida heat with the humidity, increased heat index, the whole enchilada. But the, but none of that matters if you don't do anything with it. The Bills had the ball 40 minutes out of the game. They were only able to score 19 points. They were kept out of the end zone in the second half. So I don't care if you hold the ball. I don't care how long you hold the ball for. If you cannot put the ball, if you, if the time of possession isn't in sync with, with red zone efficiency, red zone opportunities and touchdowns, you you're going to end up winning a lot of games where you know by the final score you're going to lose a, a lot of games that you're that you're going a la Ken Dorsey going to be kicking yourself and kicking and screaming and throwing crap in the coach's booth uh because because you lost cuz you damn near dominated Buffalo or excuse me Miami in every single major category on the stat sheet and you still lost turnovers is a part turnovers is a part of it the one you had was one too many, red zone efficiency and penalties. Another thing, another thing on top of it, Josh Allen sacked four times. Tua only got sacked once. Granted, Tua only only threw the ball eighteen times compared to Josh Allen, who threw for a ridiculous sixty three, but four sacks to one sack. And if you're Buffalo, listen, we know that Josh Allen is otherworldly. We know that uh, we know that Josh Allen is a tremendous talent. He's a dual threat quarterback. I say all the time on the show that he that he essentially reminds me of of a, of Cam Newton in his prime with a with a with a much 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 better arm. But the thing that you would worry about if you're a Bills fan is the fact that the ball is in his hands too often. I don't care who you have at quarterback. Your quarterback should not be throwing a ball sixty-three times in a game. I mean, even in twenty, even in twenty twenty-two NFL, that it, that it, that it's just, it's just too much, too much, to the point where it's like to the point, especially especially when you know your defensive coordinator can tell his defense, hey, you know, play keep, keep covered downfield, and your front four pin your ears back and be prepared to get after the quarterback. Linebackers, secondary, you guys, 
you know, makes keep everything in front of you. Shut down, you know, McKenzie, uh, uh, Stephon Diggs, and the crew. Meanwhile, your four defensive linemen, they don't got worry about. They don't got worry about stopping a run. Bills don't have to worry about, or excuse me, the Dolphins don't have to worry about stacking the box, sending linebackers on on inside outside blitzes to 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 uh, to to defend against the run. They don't have to worry about that. Secondary linebackers, you play, keep everything in front of you. Front four, go out there and hunt. And now and again, you know, we'll put a spy on there to make sure Josh Allen doesn't doesn't break loose for a sixty yard run. But you know, the the fact of the matter of it is. You know, you cannot win football games when the ball, when your quarterback's throwing it. No more, in my honest opinion, than 30, than 30 35 times. That, that to me, unless you're playing from a, from a gargantuan-sized lead, that's a recipe for disaster. Or, excuse me, a, a gargantuan-sized size, uh, deficit, that's a recipe for disaster. Another thing, too, about Buffalo that will worry me, and you, and, and the... Buffalo naysayers and the and the people like me to a certain degree that aren't so hot on Buffalo at this moment in time, at least heading into the season. This is a stat that would worry you. The Dolphins are 0-7 in one possession game since the start of last season, including, of course, the loss against Kansas City. 0-7. The thing that would concern you if you are a member of Bill's Mafia is that not too many teams, if any at all, you're not going to find too many Super Bowl champions that can't figure out how to win game, how to win one possession games. You're not gonna, you're not gonna find too many of them, if any at all. You know, good baseball teams find a way to win, to find a way to win one 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 run games. Good hockey teams, good soccer teams know how to win in one in one goal games. Good, uh, good basketball teams know how know how to win. Sometimes, you know, by by a by a free throw, by a two point or three point jumper. Good football teams know how to win one possession games. Seven, they know how to win win football games when the when the when the point mark when the margin of points is is eight or is eight points or less. Good championship level football teams know how to do that. People sit up here and say, you know, you know, and I, I don't mean to draw it back to them, but I'm bringing them up to make a point. People say, well, well, the Bengals, you know, they were, they were fortunate, they were lucky with the playoff games, all one possession, this, that, and the other. I can see where there's the na- I can, I understand where people are coming from, what they talk of, and what they're talking about when they refer to winning the championship in the divisional game by a field goal. Uh, you know, a goal line stand against the Raiders in the in the wild card. I understand people are coming from with that. You know, every now and again, you know, you'd like to win a football game by 14, seven, 14 to seventeen points. I get that, but there is something. There is a level of merit and a level of mental toughness and a level of and a form of as old Buffalo Bills head coach Marv Levy would say. There's there's a mental there's a there's a there's a lot of moral fiber there there that lies in knowing how to win the one the one score games, knowing how to win you know by a field goal by a touchdown by a touchdown plus the extra point a touchdown plus two point conversion knowing how to win by a point two points four points five points. 
that in knowing you know you you can come back late in a ball game and steal it with a with a with a with a last second field goal or put the ball in the end zone in the final seconds or your defense being able to get off the field in 13 seconds or your defense uh, or your defense keeping your keeping uh, your, your threatening opponent out of field goal range, forcing that game ceiling interception or game ceiling incomplete pass or that game or getting that game. There is something to be there. There is there's you need that championship football teams know how to win those kind of games. You go back and look at all the Super Bowl winning team. You know you, whether you want to go back to last year's Rams when they won by one possession in the Super Bowl and in the championship game. Whether you want to look, whether you want to look, or you, and even the divisional game against Tampa. You want to go back ten years ago to when the two thousand Ravens did it. They won by one possession in that thrilling game in Denver. Championship level football teams are not zero seven in one possession games. 0-7 in one possession games doesn't scream Super Bowl contender. I understand the Buffalo Bills are fantastic. They're talented. For the most part, well-coached. Josh Allen's a stud, a beast of him. It's Stephon Diggs, Vama. I get all of that. Next sentence. When I read and see that they're 0-7 in one possession games over the last over the last season and three games into this one, that doesn't scream uh that doesn't scream world beater. Uh, lock sure, sure, no doubt about it. Lock in Super Bowl, uh, contender. That's that screams a young rebuilding football team not knowing how to win close games. That's what that screams to me. And if you're a Bills fan, you got to be worried about that. Whether it's in the Kansas City game, not being able to get your defense, not being able to stop my home with 13 seconds, or even on Sunday where they didn't have any timeouts, my Zay McKenzie couldn't get out of bounds and they ran out of time uh, before they were before they could spike it to set up a game to set up a a potential uh, game winning field goal. If you're an objective Buffalo Bills fan, that would that that would that would linger, and you and you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing yourself a uh, uh, you wouldn't be doing yourself a, a service, so to speak, to to just let that information fly over your head and just brush it off like it's nothing, because because it may not matter on uh, September 27th, September 28th, or or October 2nd, come your game against the Ravens this Sunday, but I guarantee you. Come January, that stuff will matter. Even, 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 not even in January, maybe even December, when you're trying to fight off, you know, what the Ravens or 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 or, or the Bengals or whoever to try to lock up the number one seed in the, in the AFC in the AFC East. That stuff will matter. Got to be able to to figure out how to win those nail biters. And so far, Buffalo Bills, it's if they don't blow you out or beat you by a significant margin, you got a good chance of uh, of, of beating them when the opportunity presents itself. Uh, moving on to the Chiefs and the Indianapolis Colts. That was a must-needed uh, victory from Indianapolis, all 1-1 one one to begin the season, were a complete no-show and absolutely pathetic against Jacksonville in Jacksonville, their house of horrors last Sunday, and then what do they do? They go up against the big, bad Kansas City Chiefs coming to their building. Their offense finds a way to put together a couple of drives. Hell of a job by Matt Ryan conducting that uh, game-winning 16-play, 76-yard touchdown drive and touchdown uh, throw and catch to Jelani Woods 
uh, with 24 seconds to go in the fourth quarter. A uh, good turnaround bounce back game from the Indianapolis Colts. Um, a, a decent, not great, but a solid running game on, on the back of Jonathan Taylor. 21 carries, 71 yards on the ground. The thing about Kansas City, though, the thing I would scare about Kansas City is that when teams take away the big plays, when teams take away the big plays against them, you get the feeling that they get bored with dominating and succeeding and excelling and mastering the basic fundamental aspect of putting of having a of of putting together good offense uh that that's required to win football games you know you take you take away the big explosive play from Kansas City either they get bored or they get overwhelmingly frustrated, whatever it is, they just cannot find a way to beat to beat you boring. They can't be boring and 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 put points on the board, put the ball in the end zone at the same time. For whatever the reason, I I don't know what it is, why it is, but for whatever the reason, they they the two just cannot coexist. They can, they can they cannot coexist. And if I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, that would worry me because, you know, because you can't win every game with Mahomes throwing deep bombs all over the place. Travis Kelsey making guys miss and, and, you know, and your uh, and essentially your offensive scoring for the game, uh, you know, is uh, is showing up on every highlight reel across social media and on uh, cable sports television. You just. And not not every game you're going to be able to to uh, to drop 28, 35, 42 points, and uh, you know look good doing it and give and give the masses great highlights. Want to great highlights of the touchdowns you scored once the game is over. Sometimes you got it. Sometimes you got to win games 20 to 17, or 17 14, or 17 10, where you know we put the ball in the end zone two three times and and they're simple two yard rushes. Well, you got knowing how to win games the boring way, and I think if you want to talk about a downfall or a or or a weakness in Kansas City's game is that they cannot beat you boring. And great teams, Super Bowl caliber level teams, know how to beat you boring as well. They know they if they if you got if they you know you beat you in a shootout fine. We gotta beat you in a rock'em sock'em defensive game. Fine, if that means that we don't have that our longest play in the after of the of the entire game is no more than 20, 25 yards, but yet we still find a way to put the ball in the end zone and execute inside the red zone. Good, you know, Kansas has got to be able to do that and master that. But you know, scoring three measly points in the second half is not a is is not a recipe for championship level football. And 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 I say this all the time, you know. And they were very fortunate, and we discussed this. Uh, we discussed this last week. They were very fortunate to uh, to walk to walk away in week two. Uh, against the Chargers, where every where when everything went wrong, when everything could go wrong, did go wrong. Uh, Slater out, you know, Slater had to leave the game early, and uh, Deshaun and uh, Justin Herbert was playing with bad ribs. So, so you figure, and you figure, and just the way that that game went, and we discussed this, but just rehashing it uh, for the sake of conversation, that if Slater hadn't gotten hurt and would have stayed in the game, and Herbert thus by by by. Uh, 
you know, by a default, hadn't probably broke, hadn't probably fractured his ribs. Chiefs be right now at one and two instead of two and one. Because that was a game that Kansas City did, had no business, had no business, no business winning. None. Thanks to the defense and the Chargers' own ineptitude. And I said, you know, I, 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 what if you expect? And I said that at the time, I'm saying, if you expected me to to wave the pom poms and go crazy, all oh, the Chiefs are back. Who needs salary kill when they beat the hell out of the Cardinals, who uh, came back down to earth this weekend against uh, against the Rams? Then you're not paying attention. Don't get it twisted. Patch Mahomes is all is is a great quarterback, otherworldly. And is on the right path to being a first bat Hall of Famer, one of the greatest quarterbacks this game has ever seen. Top 10, top 5 in the history of the National Football League. But let's not sit up here and act like that Tyree Kill, that, that, that Patch Mahomes made Tyree Kill. Tyree, other wide receivers, fine. But like I've said, Adam Finitum for the, for the last few months now. Tyree Kill's, the type of receiver and the skill set that Tyree Kill has. Players and wide receivers like him don't grow on trees. Why the, the special, special, intricate, unique players like him aren't aren't you know they aren't your regular average, not even average, but your regular uh, stud. You know, six foot two or excuse me, six foot three, six foot four, two hundred and fifteen pound. You know, wide receiver. Those you know those you get those every 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 draft class. You know, those you can you can always find more wide receivers. Tyree Kill, though, the exception to the rule. And if you think that Tyree Kill, you know, again, how many times you gotta tell you that Tyree Kill put up some decent numbers and, and was no slouch when Alex Smith was throwing him the football. So that's not sit up here and act like that that you know, that that not, that that Hill needs uh, needs Mahomes more than Mahomes needs needed needed excuse me, needed Hill. We haven't seen what this being the first go around. We haven't seen what Patrick Mahomes has looked like without Tyree Kill to throw to on his roster. We've seen, uh, we've seen Tyree Kill play with other quarterbacks or other qu- or another quarterback, and it was Alex Smith, and he wasn't too shabby. Patrick Mahomes essentially just took him to took him to the upper echelon of greatness. But last time I sit up here and act like that that Tyree Kill wasn't wasn't already uh forced to be reckoned with within the National Football League. That's the second thing. Th- uh the uh the third thing is with the uh, Ravens and the Patriots. And let me tell you something right now, ladies and gentlemen. Lamar Jackson, it's it's him and Jalen Hurts. Flip a coin, take your pick Roll of the dice, I don't, you know, to draw it out of the hat, whatever you want to get. Those two are your, are your by far your two early season MVP candidates. Uh, as we uh, for everybody else, not for in, with the and the only teams that still got a game in September is the Dolphins and the Bengals. But those are your two early season MVP candidates through uh, the first three weeks and the first. Uh, month of the season in September is Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts. We'll get to Hurts uh, in a minute, but Lamar Jackson, four touchdown passes, ran for 170 yards on the ground, 11 carries, one touchdown, scored five touchdowns on Sunday, five touchdowns, ran for 170 yards on the ground, 
not again, not as great and not as holy crap. Look at this as the Miami game, but you would take four touchdown passes and then on, on top of running for 170 yards and, and, and rushing for a touchdown any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Uh, so the Ravens offense, which, which I was somewhat, which I was semi skeptical about heading in, or excuse me, skeptical about heading into the season. I knew that their defense was going to be, was going to be all right. My issue was, uh, that, you know, would their, would their offense be able to produce now? It looks like more, more than ever that their defense might be something that I would worry about if I was a Ravens fan instead of their offense, because their offense going out there, they scored 24 against 24 against the Jets. 38 against Miami, 37 against the Patriots. And now they're going up against, and now they got their biggest test. It's an early test, but their biggest test of the season thus far. Week four, when they when the Bills come to town, coming up on Sunday with the Bills, a uh, three-point favorites, uh, favored by a field goal. But, you know, th- but it looks like you'd be concerned about the Ravens' defense because they absolutely let, uh, they absolutely let, Wide receiver Devontae Parker go off in the game on Sunday. Five receptions, 156 yards receiving on 10 targets. Mac Jones, 22 of 32, 321 passing yards. His only downfall, sacked three times, three INTs. And now he's got a severe ankle sprain that he may have surgery on and will be out for quite some time. But Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, he's taking the Aaron Judge approach, betting on himself, and so far... He looks like he's winning that bet. He the only he's he's scored more touchdowns in every single than than thirty one other than the other thirty teams in the National Football League except for one, the Detroit Lions. Only the Detroit Lions have had, throughout the first three weeks of the season have scored more touchdowns than Lamar Jackson has, which has been absolutely sensational. Just to read you his early season stats, he's got a sixty three percent. Uh, completes percentage thus far, 749 passing yards, averaging eight and a half yards a pass, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, that, I understand only three weeks, and he was performing like this and, and was sensational, uh, and was sensational first half of last season. But I tell you something right now, Ray, if you're the Ravens, you might, you might want to uh, give Lamar Jackson a blank check and quit while you're ahead and see Say, hey, I know you don't want to negotiate, but here, guaranteed contract, just take it. He's first in the sport in passing touchdowns. Hell of a player, and you can see the improvement uh, with, with his with his with his with his passing game has 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 improved exponentially. He's thrown the ball as he's thrown the ball as good as I've ever seen him in his in his young career thus far. The zip. The zip that he has with a spiral, the the, the the brilliant touch is just watching him throw a football as his career has progressed, especially this season thus far, has been a thing of beauty. Arm strength, very, very good. Lamar Jackson has been off the charts the first three weeks. As have the Philadelphia Eagles, who are the lone undefeated team in the NFC, who beat the living hell out of the Washington Commanders, who stink. Uh, Jack Del Rio, instead of being more concerned about insurrectionists and George Floyd and all this other, just put your head down, Jack, and get your defense organized. Will you please? Your defense stinks. Jalen Hurts, 340 passing yards, three touchdown passes. Uh, Devontae, Devontae Smith, my guy, my favorite player on the Eagles, 
eight receptions, 169 receiving yards, a touchdown catch. A.J. Brown right behind him, right behind him with five receptions, 85 yards. So if you're Jack Dario, quit bump your gums and get your damn defense organized. And I tell you something right now, he's lucky he ain't working for me. Ron Rivera, if I'm going to sit here and tolerate your, your machinations and your foolishness in training camp, and you're going to sit up here and give me performances like this, nah, man. Mm-mm, nope, ain't working for me, not a chance in hell. Uh, it could, you know, you want to come on the stuff, whatever, but make sure that, that when the rubber meets the road, that you're doing your job and that you're executing on stuff that you, that you got to be worried about because so far your defense has given up 22 points, 36 points, 24 points. Not good. Not good. I understand Philadelphia is a hell of a football team, but 36 to, uh, to Detroit in week two and uh and and an okay twenty two allowed to Jacksonville. I expect more for a team that I picked to be fairly competitive and, and around the five hundred mark when the season began. They have Dallas coming up on Sunday. And boy did the Philadelphia Eagles pass rush get after Carson Wentz sacked nine times, just an absolutely dominating performance, uh blanking the commanders for three quarters. In an absolute clinic, 24-8. to eight. We take a break. We will get to the Bucks and Packers, 49ers, Broncos, and Cowboys, Giants. You're listening to the Amatelica TIS podcast. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast, Rihanna. Your performer for this for the uh, Super Bowl Fifty Seven halftime show should be a good one. Should be a doozy. She makes excellent music. I mean, how can you got that? So you got only girl in the world. You got um. So now that so you got Umbrella, which is a hell of a song. Don't stop the music sampling. Michael Jackson's uh, want to be starting some. I mean, so the amount of bangers that that Rihanna has, not to mention uh, the her featured uh, her featured track on um uh, on Run This Town. I mean, she a lot of, a lot of good excellent songs and just an excellent uh, music artist. And thank God that the NFL. Uh, you know, picked her because there was some rumblings, and it, it's and I got and I heard from uh, I believe it was Bleacher Report last week that it like it was going to be Taylor Swift to perform the halftime show to put America to sleep, sitting up on a bar stool strumming a uh, acoustic guitar, telling her about her uh, about her dopey 
uh, ex-boyfriends, which, which, and let's be fair, let's be honest, that uh, 95% of the uh, NFL audience could give a damn about. Uh, you know, come on. You think you think Taylor Swift? You're not. You know, I mean, come on. Uh, I understand that that not necessarily NFL goes to to the musicians that the football fan are. You know that the football fans, you know, are uh, you know would listen to for the halftime. But um, but I mean, you you couldn't go Taylor Swift sitting up and strumming a guitar for twelve minutes. I mean, you can't. If Bruce Springsteen, who at the time was in his late fifties, early sixties, can you know can hop up and jump and skip on a <laughs> on a piano in Super Bowl forty three, and you're gonna have uh, you know and you you couldn't have Taylor Swift sitting up there on a bar stool or sitting at a piano or just sitting down strumming a guitar. You can't putting that right to sleep. I can't do it. And I don't think, in my opinion, what I think, and I don't even think Taylor Swift is that good to put up with for 12, 13 hours anyway. Carrie Underwood, different story. And the only Carrie Underwood song I like is uh, when she does Sunday Night Football theme, uh, theme song, Waiting All Day, and the champion that she did uh, that she did with uh, Ludacris back in 2018. And it's funny with the Super Bowl halftime, you know, one of the reasons why I've, you know, thought and I've thought not and I'm not saying I'm a genius for for drawing this conclusion, but one of the reasons why the NFL is so vastly popular as it is as the, as the country's most popular league and pro football being the country's most popular sport is because it's a melting pot of all the other cultures in America, you know. Poor people love football, rich people love football, middle class does. The middle class, poor and rich, black people love it. The poor, middle class, rich, white people love it. Whether you live in you know, whether you live in Texas, whether you live in whether you live in rural states like Texas, like Illinois, like Wisconsin, you live in Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, Jersey, Massachusetts. Baltimore, Maryland, so to speak, Maryland, um, 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 it's more college football than it is NFL, but Georgia and Florida as well, Louisiana down there, they love the Saints, and, uh, and even the California, uh, with the, you know, with the, uh, with the Rams and, and when the the Rams and the Chargers and and the uh, and the Forty Niners and also the the Pacific Northwest, up in uh, Washington State and Seattle with the Sea, you know every everybody loves football. You know no matter what side of the especially in this day and age, no matter what side of the political aisle you sit on, you love it. You love NFL football. You fall in the middle. You love NFL football. Everybody, you know, has, for the most part, every sports fan, this, that, and the other of different races, of different socioeconomic backgrounds, you know, whether, whether you, you, you're middle class or you, or you, or you're rich. You love, you love, you love the NFL and you love NFL football. And I think the one time where like you kind of, where like you, you see the little cracks in the division is when it comes to the halftime show, because you got a whole bunch of other people, the white audience, you know, white people, so to speak, not so to speak, but you got a, you got a group of white people, you know, that want to see, you know, that want that want to see, you know, metal bands, classic rock. 
the, the you know the hard rock bands, the ACDCs, the Metallicas, the Thin Lizzy's, the the uh, the um, the uh, you know the um, the uh, the um, the uh, ACDCs of the world. You got I, if I've repeated that, I apologize. You got another crowd that you know that would like to see Kenny Chesney. God forbid, or or Luke Bryan, or any of them country singers. Carrie Underwood does. I wouldn't. I you know. I got no problems. You, I, I won't. I will not know not a damn song. But if you say look at Jai, look at uh, Carrie Underwood for thirteen minutes, I will not debate you. So you, you know, and you, uh, Blake Shelton, you know, in that corner. Then you also got the. Then you also got another section that want the Taylor Swifts and. The, that want the that want the Taylor Swifts and the Ariana Grandes and the um and the and the and the Dua Lipas of the world performing and the um come on, I name some artists and and uh, and um why am I drawing a blank on this? Uh, give me another artist, but anyway, get the idea. Then you get the other section. You know, they want the Rihannas, they want the Beyonces, the Meg the Stallions, the Cardi Bs, the you know the uh, they won. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago you had, um, I believe I think it was Migos that performed in one of them, or at least made it an appearance. And then you had Outkast a couple of years ago. Uh, and then you also you want to go in the pop direction. You you want you know your Bruno Marses, your Harry Styles, and and then on the other side you want the guys. And I kind of fall and I fall into that group too as well. You know where you want you want the rappers. You want Dr. Dre. You want Snoop. You want Eminem. You want uh, Mary J. When Mary J though kind of falls in, like to the Beyonce category, but you get the idea. That's the only time like when you get to see how different. You know the football fans that that you know that come together. I love the sport. Where you see where you see the difference is when it comes to the taste of music and who on who, uh, you know who's doing a halftime show. So you know which which I which I find to be interesting. You know I, I don't understand how you couldn't love it, but not everybody and I and not necessarily for the reason you know that old. Uh, racist stereotypical uh, you know position against uh, you know that people have against rap some people it just don't it just don't flow with them i don't understand how i don't understand how i understand you know that's something and some things demon aren't meant for me to understand but some people not necessarily you know out of reasons of of hate or bigotry but they just for whatever reason they couldn't flow with snoop eminem and uh and dre back in february I could, cause I grew, cause I grew up, I, cause I grew up on the, even though that's not, I wasn't a part of that generation during the, you know, during the peak and height of their crime, or crime, the peak of their prime. I grew up on that music. I grew up on, you know, on why I enjoy seeing the Mary J's and the Beyonces of the world perform, cause I grew up on their music. I grew up listening to, listening to Crazy in Love. I grew up listening to. Uh, to um uh, to family affair just fine uh uh baggage you know in the club 50 cent 21 questions i i grew i grew up with i grew up with all that but anyway i digress nothing i want to get to before i get to the three games you know i heard a lot of talk you know over the last couple of days with this Ken Dorsey situation with him throwing crap and him uh having a rage fest and once the clock hit triple zeros in their loss against Miami on Sunday 
Ladies and gentlemen, let me be perfectly let me be let me be let me be very, very clear. Okay, can we stop with the with 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 the with the sanctimonious and the holier than thou and the snowflake like attitude when it comes when it comes to grown men expressing how they feel? Can we can we put that to bed? Can we stop with that, please? Can we stop? You know, we went we go ahead, we go we go ahead, we go crazy. Uh, you know, when t with with uh, with Brady throwing a tablet, it's enough. Okay, if Brady wants to throw tablets, if uh, if if uh, if the uh, his name just I just said his name just slipped me that his, his my name his name just slipped me that fast. If uh, Ken Dorsey wants to have a rage fit after the after their first loss of the season against Miami, where they ran out of time. And they, and he knew in his heart of hearts that that was a game that his Bills should have won. I got no problems with it. As long as you're not breaking the law, you're not putting your hands on anybody, and it's a reasonable, quote-unquote, normal episode of rage, I got no problem with it. Throw a tablet, throw your helmet, you know, throw, you know, uh, uh, throw your notes and, 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 and crunkle up and, and kind of like, hammer and punch your 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 notebook into do whatever you want do whatever you want if that's your way of coping with your sudden burst of anger and frustration i got no problem with it because better for them to do that than them you know cause a scene or make a fracas or call a name or god forbid put their hands on somebody you know with 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 you know someone that 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 they sh that they share a uniform with you know, of uh, you know, uh, in Dorsey's case, a Bills coach or a Bills uh, or a Bills player, Tom Brady goes out and and you know and put, feels the need to put his hand on and get into a uh, physical pissing match with one of his teammates. I would rather have that than have him either ball it up inside and it explodes and it's really ugly, or have them you know do something that's that's really not appropriate and that's you know getting getting in the fights. And putting hands on people. I'm all for for you know, you want to rage and take out your anger and frustration with inanimate objects. No problem. You hit people you, when you cross the line, start hitting and punch people. That's a different story. But if you get angry and you want to feel the need to throw crap, break crap, hey, it ain't no skin off my ass. I ain't I ain't paying for it, and it, it, it ain't a fine coming out of my pocket. Just have at it. So be it. But I'm tired of. Uh, but I'm tired of. Oh, the kids are watching. What about the kids? Set an example. Professionally, I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that. The idea that these grown men that are in the arena of competition that are getting paid handsomely to do it, that live and ride or die with the, with the team that they work for, that team that they play for or coach for, and they win and wins and losses means everything. And and in Brady and with Dorsey's case, those two individuals both share Super Bowl aspirations at the end of the season, and there's expectations on them. The idea that they're just supposed to be so dead robots and essentially not show any sort of kind of emotion in that public setting during a game french toast that they are not robots they are human beings with souls and emotions okay 
If they get frustrated because something in the game is going their way and they feel the need, their little their little avenue of expressing that or relieving that stress and that and that short-term anxiety and frustration is th- is throwing a Microsoft tablet or crumpling up my my notebook and and ramming it into the desk and spilling my pens and highlighters all over the place and throwing my headset down. If that's what it takes. Get that little episode of Rage up before you go, you know, before you convene with your teammates or if you're in Dorsey's case, go down to the locker room and meet with the team. So be it. I got no issues. I got no problems. None whatsoever. They're not robots. They're grown men with lives, feelings, and emotions just like you and I. They want to win, and they want to win just as much, if not more, than the fans do. Because at the end of the day, they're in the meeting rooms. They're the ones staying up to the wee hours of the morning early mornings, late nights, putting in the work to make sure that they're putting their team in the best position to win and that they go out there every single Sunday on a week-in, week-out basis, game-in, game-out basis and putting forth their best effort to win football games, to get close and close to accomplishing their goal, and that's winning a championship. And when there are times, when there are moments where they feel like for whatever the reason, it's not, you know, that it that it's that it that 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 their anger and frustration is boiling to a point where they gotta break something or throw something, then by all means I got no problems. Oh well what about the kids? The kids are watching. Yeah, send an example of professionalism. Listen. If, unless you're a lazy ass parent with their head with their with you know that are unless you're a lazy ass parent who's hung who's hung over and doesn't have a feel or a clue of their own damn children, you, you you ain't got no you ain't got nothing to worry about. If you're a parent who's who who has a clue and you and you talk to your child, you'd say, Listen, just because they're doing that doesn't necessarily give you the right for you to throw crap and act out when things don't go your way and when things don't go your way in life. But it, but you know, but I would say I'm like in certain things in your life in certain times, certain moments when you get older, you you know, you throw something out of out of frustration. I totally get it. Don't throw any stuff that me and your mother pay for, but you, you know, if, you know, if, if you get upset or whatever, because, you know, in football, something doesn't go your way and you, uh, you know, and you, if it, I, I, I understand, I understand your anger. I understand your emotion. I understand your frustration. You know, so you get into a fight or something and uh and you're and you're angry, you're pissed off and your jacket's hanging off you, you take your jacket off and you just throw it to the side out of I totally get it. But it's enough. Cause you sit up here and say, Well, what about the children? What about this, that, and the other professionalism, this, that, and the other? If you wanna really wanna go down the professionalism and the what about the children argument, we can go there. We can go there. From the show promos that the networks air, so they so they can draw eyeballs to their to their shows that aren't meant for children that air during weeknights, to the many a beer and gambling commercials, and and, and the cheer and and the and the, and the not that I have a problem with it, but I would if if I was watching again my six year old kid, the 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 you know the uh, the the the, the, with the cheerleaders, with the quote, what now I want to say revealing outfits, but wearing outfits that I wouldn't 
you know, want my six-year-old son to be, you know, looking at hours upon hours upon hours at that early of a, of a young age. And if you're a father, especially with a son, you, you know where I'm going with that. So if you really, really want to go down into that rabbit hole, we can have that conversation. I'd rather see Tom Brady throw a Microsoft tablet than get into a teammate's face and feels the need. He's all pissed off and upset and haul a punch at him. Or have Dorsey do that and feel so upset that he's got to put his hand on Isaiah McKenzie for not getting out of bounds. Please. They're not robots. They're grown-ass men with feelings and emotions, and they give a damn, and they want to win. They, If they want to throw crap to ease the, the the frustration to just get it all out in that one moment, let them. Let them. My gosh, when in the when in the hell did did society become so damn soft and sensitive? My goodness, he threw a tablet and he flipped out in the coach's box. Big deal. My goodness, I mean, my you would you would have thought he got naked. He you would have thought he got naked and uh, and gave the camera the double bird the way something. I mean, come on, y'all, y'all y'all gotta grow up and put and put things in the proper perspective. And and really step back and look at this and look at this uh, and look at this uh, logically, cause it, cause it, come on, really. Set an example, my ass, please. Like your children when they grow up and go through this life, they won't they won't be moaning so they feel like throwing crap in school. They won't feel like you know just crumpling up their papers and going just ape shit on their notebook. Give me a break. There's nothing that, and Dorsey said, you know, well, I apologize. I learned better from, Ken, you don't have to apologize for anything. You have to learn from anything. You were a human being, an NFL coach showing emotion, upset and pissed that your team lost their first game of the season the way that they did. And a game that they, in all honesty and all objectivity, should have won. You are a human being showing emotion. There's nothing to apologize for that. And at the same time, in the same breath, we sit up here and we talk about the importance it is for men not to buy into the to the quote unquote toxic masculinity. You know, show emotion, show your anger, show your frustration, verbalize it, show it. Don't be afraid to cry. Go to therapy. This, that, and the other. And then in the same breath, you know, we talk out of both sides of the mouth. But yet, come, you know, if they're if they work in the NFL, if they work in professional sports, they got to be a robot and not show any emotion. Can't cuss, can't swear, can't yell at the top of the yell at their lungs. Uh, veins can't pop out of their neck. They can't get angry. They can't throw crap. I mean, really? Sheesh. Anyway. Let us continue. The Packers took care of business against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 14-12 victory. This was a game that aunt that I looked that I that watching it, you know, it really reflected on how damn good the Green Bay Packers defense is. I knew that they were going to be good, which is why I st- I still pick a good defense plus a good quarterback. You're going to win a lot of games. You have you have give. I don't. I understand that his his receiving core may be substandard and they may not score points as easily as they have in the past. But Aaron Rodgers. 
back-to-back uh, regular season MVP with that damn good uh, elite defense that they've built over there. They're going to find a way to win some football games. And sometimes if, they, if they're winning football games by final score of 14-12, it counts the same as winning games 41, as it counts the same as winning football games by final score of 41 to nothing. They all count the same. You don't, you don't get any extra points for style, for blowouts, margin of victory, and all that other sort of stuff. But the defense did a sensational job. Uh, this Tampa offense, I am very, very concerned for them. They scored 19 points week one against Dallas. 20 points, uh, 20 points, um, and only one offensive touchdown in that 20 points against New Orleans in week two, and only 12 points on Sunday against Green Bay. And now they head into Kansas City uh, on Sunday on Sunday night as two point underdogs. I would be very, very concerned about about Kansas City, or excuse me, about Tampa. Uh, heading into the Kansas City game on Sunday, very concerned. You know, there I understand, and I understand they didn't have uh Mike Evans with serving the suspension and Godwin's health and Julio Jones's health, and they had to bring it, bring in Cole Beasley off the street. I get that, but at the end, but I st- but this offense, ugh, it is it has not been a pretty sight uh to watch thus far early in the season. Um, and then, you know, and Brady, you know, I, he, he won anything to write home about, got sacked three times, 31, 42, 271 passing yards, the best touchdown, you know, best drive, saved his best drive for the last one, best throw of the night he threw to, uh, gauge in the end zone to bring Tampa within, uh, two, their first and only touchdown of the game and top, whether it's Tom Brady's fault, whether it's the center, or Byron Leftwich, whoever it is, that ball you cannot take a delay a game penalty off of the touchdown on a two point conversion. You just can't. You gotta be more disciplined in that, you gotta be lined up with that. Especially knowing if you're Tampa that you have no timeouts. And one would think whether it's Brady or whether it's Leftwich or or Todd Bowles wearing a headset that can that can that's listening to their conversation and can, you know, intervene wherever he sees fit. You got to sit up here and say, all right, guys, we put the ball in the end zone. We got to make sure we got a play that we essentially can run no huddle because if it takes us a minute to draw up a two-point play to get us to extend this game and take it to overtime, we don't have a timeout. So we can't afford, you know, we can, I understand that, that, that not entirely, you know, a delayed game is all that lethal because you may have more room to work with if you're Tampa and want to, run a play out of the shotgun, but, you know, it's just, you know, you got to keep that in mind. Hey, we're at two-point conversion. We have no timeouts. We kind of have to treat this as a semi-no-huddle sort of sequence and be prepared to to have a play ready in case, uh, you know, in case we don't have enough time to get everything, to get ourselves organized in between a touchdown and two and a two-point try. But the uh, but the going back to the Green Bay defense did a sensational job getting after Brady. Like I said, the three sacks, uh, the three sacks had two forced uh, two fumbles in the game, which were bad bad uh, mistakes uh, mistakes from mistakes uh, by Tampa. Uh, Brashad Perriman fumbled twice, a, a horrendous uh, afternoon for him on Sunday afternoon, along with uh, Gage, who also had a fumble. Uh, for, who also lost the fumble early in the game as well, as the uh, Green Bay Packers defense did a great job of beasting the feasting, 
getting after that football, huge hit. Uh, also on the part of Tampa Bay's part, Vita Vea, uh, forcing a Aaron Jones fumble at the goal line, which had Aaron Jones would have put the ball in the end zone. I believe, in my honest estimation, the game would have been over this, that, right then and there at that particular moment in time. And then Vita Vea comes back behind, was playing, you know, dropped in coverage, came behind Aaron Jones, hit him in the back, boom, coughed up the fumble, and uh, and essentially was one of the best defensive plays in the game for Tampa as it kept them in the game and kept uh, the Packers from going from uh, putting up 21 points uh, on the board. Green Bay. Didn't score a point in the second half and still found a way to hang on and win the game. That's uh, game number one. Game number two, 49ers and Broncos. I mean, uh, I mean, what? I mean, my goodness gracious, what a, what, what an absolute just waste of. Uh, what, uh, hold on, sorry about that. Uh, what a just a, what an absolute just boring and just uh, I listen. I understand, and I tweeted this out during the uh, Giants and uh, and Cowboys game, which we'll touch on to close out the segment here in a minute. I understand, and I get you know that, uh, and I'm f- and I'm for the defense, the, you know the 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 defensive heavy football games, uh, in this br- in this era of offensive heavy offensive centric, uh, NFL football in 2022. I get that. I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for games every now and again, 17-14, uh, 17-14, 14-10, 13-10. I, I'm, all for, I'm all for those games. But what I'm not all for is when it's where is when I watch the game and I can't defer, is it great defense or is it uh or is it uh crappy offense? That's where that's where that's where the game that's when those games become unwatchable. Not oh wow man, these defenses really getting after making the lives of living hell. No, when I'm watching and I see receive when I see receivers being missed, when I see wide receivers uh, getting missed easy passes from the quarterbacks, I'm seeing Jimmy Garoppolo not knowing where the damn back of the end zone is and backing up into his own end zone, pulling a Dan Orlovsky. Giving Denver a safety, I'm seeing Russell Wilson cooking, uh, cooking, cooking up burnt Kraft mac and cheese. Let Russ cook my ass. Twenty of thirty-three, hundred and eighty-four passing yards. They can't run the football worth a damn. Uh, you know, uh, Jerry Judy can't catch it. Couldn't catch COVID if he licked the bottom of a toilet seat. I mean, it's just I mean, that I can't watch. And it was, a, and it was a tough. Tough, tough watch. And then Jimmy G, I understand no preseason because he's gone the because he's gone all up into leading up to the Bronco game as the backup. But it ain't like this is his first rodeo. He's he awful. Gave, gave up the safety on his watch for that, which ended up ironic, which ended up being the difference maker in the game. Eighteen to twenty nine, two hundred and eleven uh, passing yards. One interception could have been the pick six that could have caught that could have cost San Francisco had it not been for the safety, and he got sacked four times. They couldn't run the ball uh, efficiently whatsoever. Eighty-eight uh, total yards of uh, rushing for San Francisco, and the receiving core: Ayuk, Samuel, Wilson, Jr., Kittle kept in check for the majority of the night. But the safety ended up be- being the difference maker in the game. 
and the one time where Russell Wilson needed to buckle down and actually let see the let let Russ cook from the from the Seattle years, he buckled down and he buckled down uh, and in the fourth quarter and gave Denver their uh, when he gave Denver their lone uh, touchdown drive of the night. So when the chips were down and when it mattered the most. Russell Wilson was able to put together that one good, uh, that one good flawless drive, and Jimmy G was not, or could not, and that's essentially what the game come down came down to. On top of Jimmy G running the back, or not knowing where the back of the end zone is, and placing his uh, his back foot on the uh, on the uh, back end zone uh, white chalk. And then as for the Cowboys and the Giants to wrap it up. Uh, listen, with the Giants, they're competitive. The culture is changing. Dayball's going to have some success, and the Giants in the near future are going to have some success unless something unforeseen happens. And Saquon Barkley, in these le- in, in these last few weeks, has somehow found his has somehow found the fountain. I don't want to say youth because he's still young, but has found the fountain of his uh, of 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 what he was as a draft prospect when he was an early uh, selection uh, a few years you know a few years ago when the Giants selected him once upon a time fourteen carries eighty one yards one touchdown. Uh, but the Evan Neal work in progress, um, young player, good and has potential to be a very good player, but a work in progress. Dallas Cowboy defensive front just ate up the Giants offensive line for breakfast, lunch, and dinner on Monday night. I mean, they absolutely had no answers for him. Daniel Jones was was pressured, was hit about uh, about twenty seven out of thirty seven times, dropped back to pass, uh, was sacked five times. I mean, and I'll give you my opinion on Daniel Jones here in a minute, but I mean that that Dallas Cowboy defense was beasting and feasting all night long. And Cooper Rush made the plays. Daniel Jones did not. Talked about Jimmy G. Russell Wilson. Cooper Cup made the plays. Cooper Cup didn't make the mistakes. Jimmy G. did. Cooper Cup. They couldn't. The uh, the Wink Martindale signature uh, blitz blitzing uh, pass rush couldn't get home. Cooper Cup not sacked not one time. Didn't turn over the football and played and played a very good game. And the thunder and lightning combination between Zeke and Tony Pollard has got to has got to stick and it's got to and has got to somehow some way not disappear when Dak gets back. Tony Pollard excellent night, 13 carries a buckle, 5 on the ground. And then Zeke Elliott turned back into his rookie self, uh 15 carries, 73 yards on the ground and a touchdown. You got those two Especially with Tony Pollard getting the majority of the workload a little bit more than Zeke, you got those two are just as much an integral part of the offense if anything. C.D. Lamb, horrible, horrendous catch or excuse me, drop. Decent receiver, very good at best. Not anything more than that. Eight receptions, eight. Although he didn't make up for it for that touchdown drive, he had the one-handed catch though, which which he and the Cowboys needed in the worst way imaginable. And a touchdown catch also for CeeDee Lamb. And also going back to Daniel Joseph, not just because the Dallas Cowboy defensive pass rush is just an absolute menace to society and his offensive lines are work in progress, but I mean, but on top of the fact, his damn wide receivers couldn't catch a damn thing. His his wide receivers were, were not bad. 
they were embarrassingly horrendous on Monday night. I mean, Kenny Gotti has nothing but sit up and bitch and moan about why he doesn't get more planes on why he doesn't get the ball. Got targeted three times and had as, and had as many catches as me sitting on my ass down here in, down here in Baltimore. And, 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 and Kenny Galladay is making bank. Cashed in on that one good season had with Detroit, and he's been a complete no-show with the Giants ever since. A complete and utter no-show. But to be fair to him, he, he, he won like a whole hell of a lot of his uh, his uh, his uh, teammates in the wide receiver room showed up and were ready for, and were ready for prime time uh, either. Sterling Shepard will miss the rest of the season with a torn ACL. You hate to see that. T's and P's uh, to him a speed of recovery uh, for him. And then the last thing, uh, or I got a thing on uh, Cooper Rush, and I either want to uh, say something on Daniel Jones. I'll do Jones first. With Daniel Jones, like I said, it wasn't like that he single-handedly cost the Giants the game, but he didn't win it for him either. You know, and again, you know, I give you, you know, Burrow for a perfect example. Burrow sacked six times against Dallas and still hung in there and made the, didn't turn over the football, made the plays, put Cincinnati and give him a chance to win. You, you don't get that with Daniel Jones. I'm sorry. He's a he's a turnover machine. He can't trust him. He's unreliable. He is winless in primetime games. And he never wins against the Dallas Cowboys. And ninety-five and ninety-five percent of the blame of the law, so to speak, doesn't you can make the argument and doesn't necessarily doesn't even really at all, you could say, go on the go on the back of Daniel Jones. But what you will say about Daniel Jones where he deserves grief is that even in games where them losing isn't necessarily his fault, he makes sure he makes sure that that he makes he put he puts his little paw print on the game. He put he put his little paw print on the game, throwing that bonehead ass nine interception that was the coup de grace to any potential comeback the Giants may have had, and thus the rest of the night. So he may not have, you know, fumbled the football all over the place and thrown three, four interceptions. And, no, but he sure did put his paw print on on the bone crushing, uh, on the on the bone crushing, uh, back breaking game game ending costly turnover that that he's made a habit over the last few years, a habit. And if you're Jerry Jones. You may actually have a quarterback controversy on your hands. Prescott's overrated, overpaid, but this Cowboy offense operates a hell of a lot better when Cooper Rush is the man in charge instead of Dak Prescott. I don't know why. It's just the way it is. The hit, the chemistry that he and Kellen Moore have is impeccable. They, you know, he trusts Rush trusts Moore and vice versa. Rush doesn't play stupid. He doesn't turn over the football. He makes smart decisions with his throws, and 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 his and his, and his teammates play hard for him, and they receive him, and they, and they, uh, and the and the and they and the and the and the chemistry and the synergy is is uh, is at an all time high between Rush and his teammates, Rush himself, and then of course his coaches. Sure as hell got uh, Jerry Jones's uh, vote and seal of approval. That's for sure. Daniel Oye Fusi of the Miami Herald is standing by. We'll be back with the I'm Telling Podcast 
in just a moment. Welcome back to the I'm Telling You TIS podcast. Joining me now, beat writer for the Miami Dolphins of the uh, Miami Herald down there in South Beach on the west coast of uh, fine, sunny Florida. It used to be uh, Maryland's finest and greatest, but now he's South Beach finest and greatest. The one and only haven't had, no, haven't had a moment in a long time, but it's good to have him back with us. Daniel Oyefusi of the Miami Herald. Daryl, excuse me, Daniel, good to have you back on, pal. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's been a, it's been a minute, man. But uh, you know, I'm excited for this game. So definitely glad uh, you had me on. It has been a minute, and uh, of course, when I saw this was on the schedule, when the schedule came out, I made a mental note: we got to get our we got to get our pal Daniel back on the show, and thus we are having you on here, uh, not only to preview uh, the matchup between the Miami Dolphins and Cincinnati Bengals come up on Thursday night, but it also happened to be that, that we got a hell of a football game to uh, to quickly recap and to discuss from Sunday with the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. What was your takeaway? Because the, the audience has heard what I have had to say about it, but what was your primary takeaways that you got from that really on in all objectivity was the game of uh of the sunday afternoon slate what was your takeaways from uh the dolphins upset victory to remain the only undefeated team in the afc yeah my impressions were it was a game that developed in a fashion that you don't normally see and when i say that um i i mean if you were somebody who didn't watch this game at all and just took the box score and just looked at the side-by-side numbers you would think hmm the Bills are probably winning this game by multiple scores. I mean, the Bills completely dominated time of possession. They doubled up the Dolphins there. They doubled them up in first downs, yardage, all that good stuff. I mean, they ran 90 plays to the Dolphins, 39. So most times, and there's a whole bunch of stats that came out after the game, most times when you have that discrepancy in time of possession and yardage and first downs and plays and whatnot, like usually blowing a team out. Um, but what really like failed the Bills and what really, you know, helped the Dolphins was that their defense made the stops when they needed. Like in the first half, when the uh, Bills got deep in the red zone, they weren't able to stop them. But they switched some things up in the second half. They're able to limit the uh, the Bills to just some field goals. They missed a field goal on one time. And, you know, for the limited opportunities that the Dolphins offense got, I mean, Tua did what he had to do. I mean, there's Tua is a polarizing guy. I know we're going to talk about him, but he did what he needed to do. Third and, 20, third and 22, um, you know, you're down. If you punt the ball, you're probably going to, you know, you're probably going to give up another score again. I mean, he throws a rocket to Jalen Waddle that sets up that go-ahead score. Um, so, again, you know, I, I thought that was a very impressive win by the Dolphins. Um, if that type of discrepancy in time of possession plays happens again, I don't think the Dolphins are going to be as fortunate just because um, the Bills, I think the Bills are going to uh, be a little more efficient in their operation. Um, obviously, they had a, a couple guys, a lot of guys that were injured, the entire secondary. They had some other guys who were knocked out of that game. Um, so I think that maybe the Dolphins won't be a little, quote unquote, lucky, um, you know, the next time around if something like that happens. Um, but to start 3-0, to win those the games that they've won, to start the way they've won and to win in the fashion that they've won, I mean, you, you can't say any more about what Mike McDaniel has done and really changing the culture of that team. Absolutely. I mean, go back to the week two, you know, they were dead in the water against the Ravens for the fourth quarter. They go out there and they outscore them uh, 20, I think it was 28 to three in the fourth quarter. You know, they stopped Lamar Jackson, who was electric for three quarters. 
they basically, you know, the chart, uh, excuse me, the Dolphins defense all of a sudden had all the answers for him. Meanwhile, it's Tua to Waddle, it's Tua to Tyreek Hill, and it's like you're blinking. It's like, how in the world did this become a game again? And then, uh, Sunday, a brilliant point. You know, it comes down to this when you talk about comparing and contrasting the team stats, it comes down to this the Buffalo Bills. 40 minutes, 40 seconds of time of possession to the Dolphins, 19 to 20. Here's here's the here's the point I would I want to expound on. The Dolphins red zone in the red zone three times, three of three. The Bills four times, two of four. So it so although ruling and beating our opponent in time of possession and out of the 60 minutes having the ball a little bit over you know 31 32 minutes to 40 minutes you know your chances of winning the game especially with the bills and that offense and the playmakers that are on that sideline and, and the type of quarterback josh Allen is your chance of winning the game goes up but you could have the ball for you could have the ball for 55 minutes and your opponent only have it for five. If in the 55 minutes you can't find a way to put the ball in the end zone, every single opportunity you have you have uh with every with every offense possession that you come across, you're not gonna win many football games. Bottom line is that, like you said, two have made the plays, the dolphins made the plays, and the little opportunities the Bills have to put the ball in the end zone, they delivered every single time, delivered with touchdowns. Buffalo Bills did not do that. They they, they had an abysmal uh, second half offensively. Uh, Josh Allen threw the ball, one of the worst throws he's ever had in, uh, as a pro. Where he threw the ball into the dirt on the uh, on the far side, on the uh, far uh, right lower hand side of the end zone. I mean, it was just it, it was it was a game where if you're a Miami Dolphin fan. Not only are you happy with it because you took down the the quote unquote darling of the AFC that had that has done nothing but kick ass and take names first two weeks of the season, taking down the defending champs of the Rams, and then of course with um, with Tennessee last Monday night. But it's also a it goes to what you said about Mike McDaniel and the true. Uh, shifting and change of the culture that has taken place ever since he's uh, stepped foot in those doors. Now, most definitely, most definitely. And, and it's like the, it's, it starts with the the scheme, obviously with, you know, the, the, the Shanahan West coast style scheme and, um, you know, getting yards after catch and moving to out the pocket, but really it goes deeper than that. And the way he's like empowered guys, like we know to his first years in the, in the league weren't, um, optimal, you know, they weren't the best environment for a young quarterback coming off the hip injury, maybe throwing a little too soon in his rookie year. Second year, you know, just kind of button heads and in, in, in a way with the head coach or the head coach just not believing him. Um, but like ever, ever since Mike McDaniel has been there, he's been talking to a up. Ever since Tyree Kill was traded to Miami, he's been talking to a up. And it's like, it, there is something to be said about, you know, being in an environment, being in a working environment where like the people there really believe in you and are doing everything and are really pouring everything into you to make sure that you're successful. And it's like, when you see Tua out there, you see he's loose, you see he's confident and you see he's just like playing so free. And it's like, I think that that really goes a long way in addition to the scheme and all the players that are around him. Absolutely. I mean, he... You know, you think back with uh, with the Brian Flores days, right? You know, Brian Flores would have probably pulled two out of the game week two against Baltimore. You know, think other games out of hand. You know, you know what's the point? You know, call off the dogs. Game is over. But the 
intangible and the level of trust that McDaniel has with Tua has definitely gone a long way. And it's not like that the Miami Dolphins, you know, they weren't the Giants, a team like the Giants per se, that was in need of the adult in the room, need of leadership, need a need of a kind of like a culture change in the locker room. The Dolphins had that. They were a buttoned up discipline uh, football team that, you know, that gave opponents fits. You know, when, you know, we think back when they missed the playoffs in 2020, when, uh, when, uh, when, when Tua had the bad game in Buffalo and Ryan Fitzpatrick tested positive for COVID the day before. And they were, they were a, uh, they were a feisty football team under, under Brian Flores. Uh, They had like, I believe the Ravens were six and two at the time, something like that on that Mm -hmm. veterans day on a Thursday night. And and the Ravens came in and the, and the, and the Dolphins just beat the hell out of them, just punched them right in the face, ambushed them and beat the so it's not like that the Dolphins have been lacking in that per se. They've been lacking in that in that in in that coach, and specifically, you know, whether it be offensive coordinator or a offensive minded head coach that is going to have the confidence in their young quarterback and says, "This is my guy," and when the chips are down, I trust him to I trust him to attack him a little our QB one to go out there and when the chips are down to bring us back from deficits and games when we play teams like Buffalo and then when the weather's hot when it's sticky and everything's going all way I trust him to deliver the goods with Brian Flores you may not necessarily gotten that although everything else was there with Brian he did a tremendous job while he was there the one key glaring area of weakness with if you want to compare and contrast McDaniel to with uh to with uh Flores as the Dolphins head coach is that the is that the lack of confidence with Tua was a glaring Achilles heel for this team now that McDaniel was there that doesn't seem like to be the case and as a result the Dolphins are three and oh no most definitely and it's like it's such a different approach like um, we were talking about how, you know, McDaniel just isn't your typical coach. I mean, he doesn't look the part. Usually you just used to guys who played in the NFL or, um, you know, they look a certain way. They talk a certain way. McDaniel's making jokes with the media. Um, you know, he's wearing Yeezys and, you know, Air Force One, Supreme Air Force Ones. He has like the, the glasses. I mean, he just doesn't look and operate how, um, you know, the, the, the typical, the stereotypical coaches. But maybe it's like a, it's maybe it's a sign that things are changing. You know, like like there's the players are different than what they used to be a generation ago. Um, they respond differently, they react differently. You know, um, so it's not just that he's young, but the way that he interacts and the way that he's himself. And I think that it's like a trickle down effect because it's like if this guy is quirky and makes jokes and laughs at himself and is cool with being himself it makes all the other 53 guys on the roster confident that they can be themselves and they don't have to worry about being, you know, spoken to a certain way and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, early on when we first were talking to players at the beginning of OTAs, a lot of them said, yeah, like the environment is different. The, the, the vibe is different. And you kind of like chalk that up originally to like, oh, it's just because they're happy Brian Flores is gone, but it's like, no, like you see that it's legit. Like what he's building is legit. Um so at this point, it's just going to be interesting to see if they can they sustain it. Because I think that everyone 
saw a little bit of the potential. Like me, I had them going 10 and seven, just missing the playoffs. I thought they were going to be a, a good team, a hard out every single week. Um, so a lot of people saw the potential in the, in the vision, but now that's really like manifesting itself. Now the question is, you know, how far can they take this? Because they have the attention of the entire NFL right now. And if they go out there, God forbid, and beat the Bengals on Thursday night, then they really have America's attention because like, hey, you took that you've taken down the two arguably two best teams in the AFC on top of or maybe arguably top three with the Ravens, Bills and uh, God forbid, for my sake and who they nation's sake, the Cincinnati Bengals on Thursday night. But I tell you, this there's not there is. Nothing I I look at it like this from Miami Dolphins perspective. There is still if you lose on Thursday night, I know how you feel about it, but I feel like there wouldn't there wouldn't be no oh, like no they'd be upset because it'd be you know we're no longer undefeated, but it'd be okay. You guys are are improving your your if you keep playing the way this way you are all season you'll be a playoff team but you're not but it'd be like a you're not there yet as far as being within an upper echelon of contenders in the AFC like Buffalo like Baltimore like the Bengals like Kansas City do, do you feel that uh, do you feel that that this is kind of like a uh a win-win situation for Miami heading into this game, where if they lose, you know, it won't, it won't be, you know, as uh, it won't be as deflating as say they, as say, you know, if they would have lost the Baltimore or Buffalo. So I think that in the position that the Dolphins are in, and when you look at the entirety of the AFC, um, this was supposed to be built as like a bloodbath uh, conference. I mean, you know, you have the AFC, all the teams of the AFC West and all the moves that they've made. You have the the Ravens and the Bengals and the AFC North. And, you know, um, nobody, nobody, everyone's still respecting the Steelers. And we, we understand the time that the Browns have. Um, you know, even the AFC East with the Bengals and obviously the Dolphins and pe most people still respecting where the where the Patriots are at. I mean, I thought this was everyone perceived this as a conference where it's like every week it's going to be a bloodbath. But, you know, even in the first two weeks of the season, I mean, the Raiders have struggled. They're 0-3. The Chiefs have struggled. The Chargers have struggled. So, again, I mean, I think this is an opportunity for the Dolphins to really continue to separate themselves from the pack. I mean, even the Bills showed a little bit of vulnerability um, with their loss to the Dolphins. So if the Dolphins are to win this game, you're really establishing yourself as one. I, I don't want to, I don't like talking and say, talking about Super Bowls, you know, after a month into the season, but right. I, the way I describe it is like, you're staking your claim as one of the NFL's elite teams. If you lose the game, then it's like Mike McDaniel said it best. There's going to be an overreaction and a reaction either way. And he, like in week one, he said, after week one, we're either crowned or everyone says we stink. So if they win, <laughs> they're on top of the world. If they lose, then they come back down to down to the earth, and everyone's right. like, "Hey, maybe." And the questions start to surface again. So yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, it's a win lose situation because if you win the game, you win the game, and it's perfect. If you lose, you lose the game, and now everyone, you're not on top. You're not you're not the darlings of the of the NFL. Everyone's questioning whether this is legit now. Um, but you know, again, I I think that you know, re overreaction, reactions and overreactions are just what comes with, you know, sports. Um, you know, yes. I didn't want to overreact too much to the Baltimore win. I don't even want to react too much to the Buffalo win. I thought that it's, it, they were both very impressive wins, but the most important thing is like what you do next. 
because, you know, they say NFL is not for long. So it's like, what do you do next? Um, Dolphins fans will tell you the last three times they started 3-0, they missed the playoffs. So what does this mean if they can't keep on stacking wins? So that's really all that matters. But, right. yeah, it's a real opportunity to continue to say, hey, this is legit. This isn't a fluke. Yeah, Baltimore may have had some busted coverages. Yeah, Buffalo may have had some some guys missing out, out of that game. But we're still legit. That's what the opportunity is for the Dolphins on Thursday night. Absolutely. By the way, uh, how did it feel coming back? Because uh, you were here, right, for the uh, for the Baltimore game. If you, how did that feel coming back uh, home? As quickly digress, I'm interested. How did that feel to come back home to uh, to uh, Baltimore for that Raven game a few weeks ago? Yeah, it was great. It was great. You know, obviously, I'm from Towson. Um, you know, I went to Towson High School, University of Maryland. Part uh, covered the Ravens for the Baltimore Sun for two years, so you know I still have a lot of ties, a lot of friends, a lot of obviously my family still back there. So it's really fun, you know. Obviously with, with the with the with the week to week, month to month, just like the 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 demands of the job, I don't always get to go home. So you know when I when I first saw that on the schedule, I was a geek. I was like, yeah, I get to go back home week two, get to see my family, get to sleep in my my bed back home. So it's awesome to see see my family, see some friends, and then see the guys on the beat. And then obviously you know I got treated to a great game, so. Uh, absolutely great great uh great weekend good good to hear that um and i'm I'm always interested in people's you know traveling routines and uh, how is it like going back here this that's but that's a that's a good answer i'm glad uh you had a a great homecoming and were treated to a fabulous football game Uh, another big thing to take away from the uh from the bills game as well is uh two is health you know, you we all saw it. You know, he got shoved and he got shoved. He hit his head on the grass. He got up. He kind of shook his head like that, like getting the cobwebs out. And then he kind of and he was wobbly, took a couple of steps and then he fell down and had to have his teammates assist him. And he came out. He played. He played the rest of the game. Uh, you know, you're hearing words and in injury reports that it's his back. When everyone saw that he hit his head. Um, and then the NFLPA launched an investigation to see if there was any of the if the Dolphins actually went through uh, the uh, concussion protocol procedure. What was your reaction, your takeaway, and uh, your thoughts on uh, a his health and his availability for the Bengals game on Thursday night, and b how did you feel in moment uh, when he was uh, when he got up wobbly against Buffalo on Sunday? I think I was a lot like a lot of people where, you know, you see him get shoved, you see him bang his head on the ground. And then when he starts stumbling, you, you start to worry a little bit. I mean, the first thing that comes to your mind is head injury, concussion. You know, he looked a little woozy. Um, obviously, he and Mike McDaniel said that he passed concussion tests. He passed whatever protocol they put him through. Um, they said that he had a back injury that flared up. Obviously, there, there must have been some miscommunication along that that evaluation process because they they described him as having a head injury the team announced that he had a head injury um so you know it was a kind of a weird situation and obviously the NFLPA is going to look into it um he seemed fine talking you know we, we talked to him Tuesday um ahead of the game he seemed he, like he was fine he said his back and ankle were a little bit sore so the head just doesn't appear to be a thing right there 
Um, but it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, it's a short week, so you don't have the normal recovery process. Everything is kind of expedited. Everything's shortened. Um, and, you know, as of Tuesday, he said he hadn't even thrown a football. You know, they they really didn't practice on Monday, Tuesday. They had a walkthrough, and he said that was going to be the first time that he was going to practice. Um, he was actually limited on Tuesday um, or estimated to be limited because it's a walkthrough. So it's like everyone's kind of limited in that sense. Um, but it's going to be interesting. He said he's going to play. I expect him to play. Um but, you know, who, who knows how much that that back injury and that ankle injury, he said it's really more the back than anything. So who knows how much that is is bothering him? Because you really need your back to, to do a lot as a quarterback. I mean, even to, to take the snap and turn around and hand off and obviously to, to make sure you can make the throws and you have the proper velocity, you need your back for that. Um, he looked fine uh, in the second half. I mean, he, he looked pretty fine on that 45-yarder on third and 22. Uh, so he, he's in there. I'd expect him to be ready to go. I wouldn't expect him to be limited um you know and if not then obviously Teddy Bridgewater um steps in and you know it's, we're kind of talking about a different ball game because um Teddy's a solid veteran guy a stopgap guy you know a potential starter a good backup but um I think too has shown that you know he, he's a legitimate starting quarterback well, absolutely um he and the thing with him is that heading into this season it was make a break time you know you gave him the weapons it's what is what can you do with them? He a lot like Jalen Hurts as well in Philadelphia. They've answered. I understand you don't want to overreact, like you said, first three weeks of the season. But they'll those two quarterbacks both in own right. They've answered the bell. They've they've answered the bell. They've done a they've done a uh, they've done a fabulous job. They their teammates love. They 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 play their heart out. They uh they they make they dive and make that extra catch. More specifically, talking about two than Jalen Hurts, but you can see you know this may be the beginning of his career. The naysayers and the doubters you know hushing down, and the beginning of the building blocks starting to accumulate. And all of a sudden, you got yourself an All Pro, Pro Bowl, uh, Super Bowl caliber quarterback on your hands, and the season that he that it was it was either now or never when it when it came to to a showing uh, the world what he's made of as a starting quarterback in the National Football League. I also see an injury report um Jalen Waddle with a groin injury uh limited is there any limited in practice on a Tuesday is there anything to be concerned about uh be concerned about with that or is that just you know the situation with the Dolphins with their Tuesday walkthrough yeah I don't think there's any reason for concern you know it's a short week short turnaround um a lot of guys are on that injury report um, he looked fine in the locker room. He didn't speak to reporters, but he looked fine walking around. Obviously, a little different when you're trying to run. Um, but I expect all their top guys to 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 play. Even a guy like Teron Armstead, who's had a lingering toe injury, he he hasn't he hasn't really practiced the past week or so. Um, but they they're treating him as a vet who doesn't really need the practice reps as much as some of these younger guys. So I'd expect everyone to play. Now again, um, how hobbled will some of these guys be? I mean, that's a fair question on a short week again. Thursday night games are weird because, you know, they talk about, you know, everything really just being like cut in third. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. what it's like what you're doing on Monday is what you usually be doing on Thursday and what you'd be doing on Tuesday, what you'd be doing on Friday. Um, so it can get tricky and guys, you know, their body, you know, it, it's like you kind of get into a, their creatures a habit. So, you know, the turnaround from Sunday by Friday, these guys are like really good to go. Now it's three days later and your body's still recovering and you got to go out there and play a football game. So mm-hmm. um, I always say weird stuff happens on Thursday night, but in terms of the Dolphins injury front, I think they're in a pretty good spot. I think all their main guys should be able to play in Cincinnati. 
I like that weird stuff happens on Thursday night. I I like that. Uh, but yeah, and yeah, it, it's weird, you know, like you said, because their their your body clock is thrown off. You know, your Friday your Friday is now is you know now your your Tuesday your Wednesday, and it's like okay, we get like like you know, for instance, for a perfect example with the Bengals, a, a lot of the message and the feel that I got from them after the game on Sunday was. Great. We finally got our first win of the year. It's, uh, you know, within the next 12 hours, it's on to the Dolphins. Like, it is such like a rushed, like, feeling of it's like, okay, we, it, you know, it's almost like it for for teams that play on a, on a Thursday night. It's almost as if it's like you kind of want to get the Sunday game you know, over with it as over with and hope everything goes smoothly as best you can, because, you know, win or lose, you can't spend a whole hell of a lot of time dwelling on it and saying, well, we should have done this, this, this. No, it's if I made a mistake, I got to fix it now. If if such and such then, you know, put forth the right effort, they better make sure they have it within the next few days, because it's less because you're playing two games in a five day period and it's right back to the grind. So especially for the Dolphins and really any other team for that matter with the road team the road team that plays on a thursday night is the one is the one that has the uh that has the disadvantage the Bengals are coming off of a road game to a home game on thursday night and the dolphins it's the exact opposite in the situations like that the road team playing on playing on thursday night not even really the following week more like five days later within the same you know, weak figuratively speaking, they have the disadvantage. But a couple of things I want to uh, get your impact on, I uh, want to get your uh, two cents on, is Tyree Kill. We'll do do this first. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle's impact on a Miami Dolphin offense. You know how important it is in the National Football League in 2022 for quarterbacks to have weapons to throw to. We knew how we knew how important it was for years for Aaron Rodgers to have Devontae Adams. We know how important, you know, the the Burrow and the Chase combination is with Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins on the side. The Ravens, Devin, du- Devin Duvernay, and especially Rashad Bateman, second-year player out of Minnesota, is coming to his own with Baltimore. You know, with Brady and the Bucks, with Mike Evans and, 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 and Chris Godwin, the one-two punch over there. With the Chargers, with uh, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, with um, with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Travis Kelsey, and then in the years prior with uh, with uh, McCall Hartman and Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins, and and even with San Francisco with uh, with Debo Samuel, how vital has it been to the Miami Dolphins' success having that one-two speed demon threat? with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle lined up side by side on the field within the same offense. It's been everything for the Dolphins so far. You know, last year Tua obviously had Jalen Waddle. They have the connection back from Alabama. Um, but we really didn't get to see the true Jalen Waddle just because first off, really mainly because of the scheme where they it was RPO based, a lot of short passing, a lot of stuff to the flats and whatnot. So we didn't see the true Jalen Waddle. So you again, you have this scheme where um, they they set up the play action and they set up the motion to put guys in space. And then not only do you have Jalen Waddle in space, but you have Tyree Kill in space. It really is a pick your poison thing. Like I can't count how many times we've seen in these first three games where it's like 
Tyree Kill going deep has attracted the attention of uh of a safety or, or, or a defender. And that's opened something something up for Jalen Waddle or vice versa, where even um, you know, where we saw in the Baltimore game, one of the the Tyree Kill toss, touchdown passes, it was really people say it was a coverage bust. It wasn't really a coverage bust, it was Jalen Waddle on a deep post. And Kyle Hamilton, the safety, was like, oh, crap, I got to cover that guy. So he came up, runs past Marcus Peters, and that's a TD. You might think it's a coverage bust, but I think it's great scheme and great players just really putting pressure on a defense. And that's the way to, best way to put it. You're putting so much pressure on a defense where they have to account for guys that fast. It's like where you're normally lining up 10 yards, maybe you're lining back 15, 12 yards because the guys have so much speed. Um, so, again, it's been everything for Tua. Um, I think that even without Tyree killing this offense, it would still be a very good offense. But now when you have guys with that type of elite speed, two of those guys with that type of elite speed, um, it really just changes what you can do on offense. And throw in the fact Raheem Mozart with the, you know, as your running back and him, like you said, with the McDaniel bringing it kind of like the bringing essentially Shanahan's offensive system down in Miami. Now you got an element of a, of a solid running game involved, too. Yeah, they're still trying to get that get that going. I think they're averaging around three point three yards per per attempt, which is um, toward the bottom of the league. Um, but but truly, I mean, this is a passing offense. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a passing offense. I mean, this is this is you get Tyreek Hill with Jalen Waddle, you're not trying to run the ball times the game. Yep. But still, for them, the key is to 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 run efficiently and run when they need to. Um, they haven't had to as much so far these first three games. They're still working out the kinks with the with the uh with the offensive line, kind of working in unison with the fullback and whatnot. But yeah, I mean that's another dynamic player. We've seen him break off some runs where he gets to the edge and you think it's a five yard game, and instead it's a ten yard game gain. Um, he and Edmonds have done pretty well. Um, so I mean if they can get unlock the running game and really get that going. I mean, I mean, the sky's the limit. The sky's going to be the limit for this offense. If they can get the run game going with the dynamic ability on uh, in the air. Absolutely. Uh, another thing before we uh, close it out with the bang with the uh, Bengals game on Thursday night, I'm interested in this. Uh, what's been the buzz like with the Dolphins fan base? Uh, you know, especially considering the whole thing with Ross and the team getting sued by Flores back in the winter time earlier this calendar year, Flores being unceremoniously canned, uh, Stephen Ross suspended for a year, and the fact that it is, and the fact that it is, you know, Miami, Florida, and Daniel, you don't have to should go. You and I both know Miami when it comes to the love of pro football. Miami does not hold a candle to the city of Baltimore. How it how what's the buzz been like uh, down in Miami around this around this around this football team? Given everything that's happened leading up into leading up into the twenty twenty two season, I will say now this is a. Whatever things you think about Miami, the sports town, the fan base, I mean, when it comes to the Dolphins, they are very, very passionate. And one thing that I was told when I got here is that, hey, the team hasn't been very good the past two decades, but people were saying, like, I'm telling you, if the Dolphins get it going, this town will show out. And, you know, when they got Tyreek Hill and Hyde Mike McDaniel, I mean, they were hyped. 
I mean, they they sold out their season tickets, they said, for the first time in team history. They had to start a wait list for 2023. Um, Hard Rock was rocking. I mean, I've never seen it that. I mean, I've only covered a couple, you know, a season plus worth of game, games, but I've never seen it rocking the way it was on Sunday for that Bills game. And, man, I mean, it's it's, just, it's sky high right now. You know, I mean, this team was excited for the acquisition of Tyreek Kill. Um, you know, they they thought that this was really something that uh, there was a lot of potential there. Um, and now that they're seeing it manifesting itself, manifesting itself, um, I mean, they're, they're hyped for it. They're hyped for it. So it's going to be, uh, you know, I, I think one thing that I will say is this is what how I, I knew that maybe this year is going to be different from the, from the fan engagement was um, I usually get to Hard Rock Stadium um, for the parking around 10, 10, 30-ish. And it's like, if you get there at 10, 10, 30 last year, um, you know, the, the media parking is the same place where all the fans park and where they tailgate. So if you get there at 10, 10, 30, two and a half, three hours before the game, you can usually get a nice little spot, go down the aisle and, and go all the way to the, to the media entrance and park right next to it. I mean, the first two home games of the year, like they're telling me that there's like, oh, you got to go to like the secondary auxiliary parking spot. Wow. That's how many that's how many people are here hours ahead tailgating. They got all the tents set up. All the cars are there. So like the first game of the year, they're like, nah, we got to park over here. And I'm like, no, I, I usually park over there. And they're like, nah, nah, you can't park there. And I'm like, they just don't know what they're doing. Like I was like, security doesn't know what they're doing. Bill's game on Sunday. I get there 10, 15. I'm trying to go into the orange lot where my media parking is. And they're like, nah, you got to go all the way down to the auxiliary parking on the other side. And I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, I finally, wow. after I parked, settled, walked in, I was like, yeah, I guess this is what happens when the Dolphins are good. People show <laughs> out. So this, this fan base is engaged and it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see what happens if they keep on uh, stringing wins together. Wow. I see, we learned something excellent. Well, I did not know that. My goodness. So what, so I get the feeling that, you know, A, they, A, they're the oldest sport, they're the oldest professional sports team in that market, and they can, and they hold a lot of oomph within the, within the city because you go back to the Orange Bowl with Shula and, uh, and Dan Marino and, uh, and um, what's the hell is his name? Uh, I see his face. The father, the guy that was on the Monday Night Broadcast, Bob Greasy. That's who yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Bob Greasy. You know, so it's got like a, and of course, the 50th anniversary of the 72 Dolphins team. So it holds a lot. So the franchise still, you know, it, it, look at it this way. If you snap your fingers and say, you know, get rid of the, the Miami Dolphins franchise, the the NFL, the way the NFL is, as as we know it right now, would be totally different without the Miami Dolphins. You know, as you say, snap your fingers, and the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Houston Texans are no longer here, it'd be a little bit different. But uh, but it's good to see the Dolphins fans are showing up. To the Thursday night game with Cincinnati. Burrow, 23-36, 275, three touchdowns. Clean day in the pocket. Offensive line did their job. Only got sacked twice. Uh, and Tyler Boyd had a hell of an afternoon. Four receptions, one hundred five, a touchdown against the Jets in the Bengals' first victory. How do the how does the Miami Dolphins defense? They let Lamar Jackson go crazy in Week Two. They did an excellent job shutting down the Patriots Week One and did a very very good job uh, given the circumstances and how long Buffalo held the ball on Sunday in Week Three. How does the Miami? What's the Dolphins' game plan in your eyes of stopping? Uh, Joe Burrow from allowing from uh, from carrying over a uh, a pick me up performance on Sunday and allowing it to carry over into Thursday night. 
So week two and week three were very, very interesting matchups because the Dolphins were not just facing uh, two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, but they were facing two of the, the best dual threat quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, so with Lamar Jackson and, and Josh Allen, it really changes the way the rush works in concert with the secondary, where whereas with more with the less mobile quarterback, you're kind of teeing off and you're getting a little more wide in your rush lanes. Um, you can't do that with Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson um, just because they have that ability to scramble and to extend plays. Joe Burrow, I mean, he can move around in the pocket, but not to the extent of uh, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. He's just not going to stress them on the ground like those two guys. So I think that we see a situation where we're not going to see as many spies. Um, I do think maybe we're going to see more blitzing just because um, prior to week three, that Bengals revamped offensive line hasn't, you know, protected Joe Burrow um, the way that they expected. And, and Joe Burrow does, you know, does play a part in that with holding the ball a little too much sometimes. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. So it, it is a matchup where I think that the Dolphins defensive line, they have a talented and, and, and deep defensive front. I think they can take advantage of that Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. But if not, um, there are plays to be made in in the air because, you know, you know, you have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. I mean, all those guys. I mean, I, th- I think the Bengals. I think all three of them almost put up a thousand yards. I think they came. Yeah, two, think, two. Uh, Tyler Boyd did not, but he Higgins came, he came and very Jamar close. Chase both did. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, obviously Xavier Howard's a shutdown guy. I mean, it's going to be a great matchup with him and Jamar Chase. Maybe he shadows him, but if not, I mean, if he does, you know, the spotlight's going to be on, on T Higgins and, and Tyler Boyd to make some plays against a, a Dolphins secondary that they've been good, but I think they're still susceptible to some plays because Byron Jones is out. Um, they have Nick Needham, who's been kind of up and down to start the season. Kater who's an undrafted rookie who's played really well, but he's an undrafted rookie. He's still inexperienced. So um, it's a game where the Dolphins defensive line has to really set the tone and make uh, life hard for Joe Burrow all night. And what in your mind do you think the Bengals defense has got to do? To make to uh to keep Tua Tyree Kill and Waddle and company in check. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, no, there's also I hate to cut you off. Yeah. There's also a uh, a big time injury for Cincinnati along the defensive front. Uh, DJ, I believe is I believe it's sure, DJ Reader. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to be out for quite some time, and obviously will not play Thursday night. Which is which is a big blow to Cincinnati because he's been one of the best defensive players on the young season so far. Yeah, yeah, I saw that pop up earlier in the day, and you know, some of the me and the, some of the media guys joked were like, "Yeah, well, maybe that would be a factor if the Dolphins like actually ran the ball well, <laughs> like I tried to run the ball." So maybe that doesn't have as much of a factor in the run game. Maybe maybe the the uh, pass rush it affects it a little bit. Um, but again, it's kind of the it's kind of the same deal on the flip side. If you're looking at the Dolphins' offense versus the Bengals' defense, where, um, you know, entering the Bills game, everyone was like, "Hey." the Bills' entire secondary is out, but they've been able to apply so much pressure without blitzing. And to the Dolphins' offensive line credit, you know, they that was another unit that struggled last year. They added some guys, and they played really well. They blocked really well for Tua. Um, Von Miller was silent in that game. Greg Russo, he was pretty silent in that game. Um, if you blitz Tua... I mean, you're you're leaving Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill one on one. I don't like that matchup for uh, Cincinnati secondary. Obviously, Jesse Bates is one of the better, uh, one of the best safeties in the NFL. Um, but if you're talking about, uh, I think it's Shadobi Awuzie 
Eli Apple against Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take that matchup nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten. Um, so again, it's a, it's a game where you know the Dolphins or excuse me the Bengals defensive line they're gonna have to get pressure and get pressure without pass rushing because if you if you leave guys one on one and you miss a tackle, uh, that, that's a house call. Absolutely, it's it's basically like playing Kansas City in a weird way. You know, you can't yeah. pass rush. You just got to make sure that your front four closes the pocket, and you basically rack up as many coverage sacks uh, as you possibly can. Do you have a problem, by the way, with Tyree Kill after the game on Sunday, calling out Eli Apple or no? Nah, nah. I mean, that, that's Tyreek. I mean, Tyreek. He he gives he gives you a good sound bite at least once a week. Honestly, he's good. Yeah. He's good to the. He's he's good to you guys. He gets you. He's good for one good quote yeah he always is i mean last week uh, this past sunday it was the eli apple it was the he said something about the butt punt um you know he during training camp he was always good he's calling himself a maserati and <laughs> right. he, is, he is a sports car on the football field i say that about him all the time he and lamar jackson watching them with the ball in their hands are like sports cars on the football field because it's like the the the, the you know at the stop and go and like they're just fast and it's like you know it's like tony romo in a tusher and it's like touch it out and it's like it's like how in the world did that happen you're blank and it's like 80 yards in the end zone but uh but go ahead yeah Nah, most definitely, most definitely. So he he he's flashy on and off the field, and it just it just adds to the to the excitement of the game. As I know, I saw some Cincinnati Bengals players say the same thing. You know, they don't take too much stock, and it just adds more fun to to the matchup. Um, so obviously Eli and, and Tyreek have some history from uh the AFC Championship game last year. So uh, I'll definitely be watching that matchup. Looking forward to it. Speaking of speaking of uh, Hill, one last thing. Who is more uh, likely to have a bigger game in your eyes? Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, or Mike Gusecki, the tight end? I'm not going to say Mike Gusecki because I think that he's he's kind of in like a, a limited role in this offense just given, you know, his, his weaknesses as a blocker. Um, you know, Tyreek Hill, after exploring against, against the Ravens, had a surprisingly quiet game, just two catches for 33 yards. Um, but I'm going to flip it. I mean, I'll say I think that after Jalen Waddle, you know, had, had the big catch, I think that it's a game where Tyreek Hill gets involved. I mean, Tua even said, he said, hey, I mean, um, he said, hey, I, I heard the – he said he heard the stuff that Tyreek had to say and, you know, it just adds more fuel to the fire. And he said, if Tyreek kills one-on-one, I'm going to throw it to him. Um, so Tua has, has not been shy about, you know, feeding Tyreek the ball. And uh, I think this is a matchup where, you know, they, they get uh, Tyreek involved after a quiet afternoon on Sunday. Who do you think is going to win it? With all that being said, I am going with the Bengals. You know, in my in my preseason predictions, I thought that this – I thought the Dolphins were going to <laughs> – Oh, man, if we have video, you would – oh, yeah, you would have video. They, they, they've seen it, the AFC Championship shirt. But go yeah. ahead. So, uh, you know, in my preseason predictions, I had the Dolphins two and two in this in this first month stretch. Um, I think that, you know, this is just icing on the cake. I'm starting three and zero. Um but again, I think that a short week, I keep on saying weird things happen on Thursday night, the elation of that game, maybe the the overreaction to, to one game. Um, the Bengals are still talented. They're going to be comfort more comfortable at home. Um, and truthfully, even throughout the short start, I still think this is a talented Bengals team. I don't think that they match up completely well, but I think if 
they get good protection. There are plays to be made through the air um, with Joe Burrow and, and all those guys that he has. Um, but it's going to be a tough game. I mean, I keep on saying it. The Dolphins are going to be tougher. I I have a hard time seeing the Dolphins getting blown out at all this year or just being run out the building because they can score so quickly. I mean, we saw that in Baltimore where they were down 21 and then they scored 28 points in the blink of blink of an eye. Um, so, you know, I think it's going to be – I mean, it could be an it could be another explosive game. I mean, we, we thought Sunday with the Bills and Dolphins was going to be explosive, and they just combined for forty points. But I think that this could actually be um, an explosive game just because of the dynamic pass catchers. Um, the Dolphins defense has been kind of a bend don't break type of unit. Um, they really they rely heavily on on turnovers and, and kind of getting those drive stop and sacks. But if they don't get that, I mean, they're susceptible to give up yards. And and if you if you keep on allowing teams into the red zone. Um, teams are going to score eventually. Um, but in the end, I do think that the short week, um, two is kind of uncertain injury status. I just think that I don't want to say the honeymoon ends on Thursday night, but maybe maybe that's the reality check. I, I thought that the reality check was going to be against the Bills, but there wasn't. So maybe I, I they just keep on proving me wrong and they come up with a win. But I'm going to go with the Bengals in this case. Smart man, smart man. Let's hope uh, to the delight of you. To the uh, delight yes, of, of course. I mean, hopefully, let's deliver the goods. You know, win two games in five days. Reset button. You head into Week Four against the Ravens next Sunday night, and you got you and, you, and you're back at five hundred again. And they to heading into the Ravens game with an extra couple of days off, and then we'll see where we are from there. Um, uh, and and uh, do you like the this? And I swear this will be the last thing. Do are you do you love the uh, Bengals color rush uniforms with the white helmet? Do you love them? Do you hate them? You indifferent? Where where are we feeling on the all on the all white uh, Bengal tiger look for Cincinnati? Yeah, I saw the picture that Adam Schefter tweeted out. I'm like, I'm not sure if that was like a legitimate photo or if that was just kind of like a photoshopped. The white and the black just I don't know. It just looks kind of like just looks kind of like cartoonish to me. I'm cartoonish. Yeah, I mean, oh. they, the Bengals have some other uniforms that I'm – I think it's maybe, like, the all-blacks that I really like. I remember they wore those sometimes uh, in some of those, like, the Carson Palmer days. Like, they have some all-blacks, some other alternate units, alternate unis that I really like. But I, I don't know about, about the white ones. Maybe maybe when I see it in person, I'll, I'll, I'll feel differently about it. But I'm not really feeling it too much right now. The one that Chef retweeted was Photoshop. That's the one – that's – that's – that's uh, – Okay, that looks a little cleaner. One. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a little cleaner. One a little the, cleaner from the photo shoot that they did to promote because they also they sprayed the uh, they looks gray more than anything, but they sprayed yeah. the uh, orange parts of the end zone and of course the orange B of the, of the uh, midfield logo they sprayed it white and they're asking for white. I actually I still have my uh, color rush AJ Green jersey throwback Thursday, so I'll uh, so I'll be sporting that with them on a Thursday night. Uh, this is uh, and then and keep in mind I don't know if you listened to me last two weeks. I have been so down on this team, but uh, you know the Cowboy loss. I, I'm still pissed off because it still is just no excuse for me to lose to the Cowboys. But you beat the Jets. Could have done more, should have done more, but hell, at this point, whatever points you got, save it for Thursday night because I got a weird feeling it could be a shootout at the end of the day to a track meet. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd versus Jalen Waddle and uh, and Tyree Kill. First one to score 35-plus points will win the game, but I feel like it will be – I think we'll be in for a doozy on a Thursday night. The last two Thursday night games, first two on Amazon, haven't been great. I think this one could end up being uh, – 
the best one yet, if I do uh, say so myself. Daniel, you did a hell of a job, my friend. Good to have you on as usual. Enjoy the game and enjoy uh, the flight uh, to Cincinnati. Most definitely. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. The Amatelica TIS podcast will return back right after this. Special thanks again to Daniel Oyefusi for coming on and joining us to preview Thursday night's matchup between the Bengals and the Dolphins. Just to give you a quick little uh, brief monologue on the Bengals and Jets game. Uh, you know, I was I was satisfied and I was happy because they won. And it didn't come down to the final play, final second. My heart rate wasn't going through the roof like it has been the first two games where you send it beyond pins. So the fact that it was a nice, easy, manageable game where they just showed up to work, did their job, and then went the hell on about their business, I, I'm I'm just glad for, for, for that just finally, you know, it's it's a team that that went to the Super Bowl last year, and it's like asking for them to have easy games is like it's like pulling teeth for, for out of them for God's sakes. Um, but you know the pocket, you know Joe Burrow played with a clean pocket the majority of the game, at least when it was in doubt. Um, only got sacked twice, so uh, you know, so now it's up to fifteen in the first three weeks. But as long as the fifteen, you know, the majority stayed from the Steelers and the Cowboys game, and he was really kept out of harm's way, which he was, um, which he was, uh, uh in the game on a Sunday against the Jets is what I care the most about. Excellent pocket presence, pocket awareness, throwing the ball away, not wasting drives, wasting plays, not taking unnecessary sacks and unnecessary hits when he had to. Um, got the ball out of out quick, which is which is a major, major, major positive. Hopefully, it's just the beginning of things to come for the Cincinnati Bengals offense. And I like the fact that and Sauce Garner did a tremendous job locking down Jamar Chase, who was who you know who was kept out of the game. Uh, on on a kudos to Sauce for doing so, a tremendous uh defensive job by him. But it also, you know, one of the great things about this Bengals offense is that you shut down Jamar Chase. Then who the hell's gonna cut? Who's who the hell's gonna cover and take care of Tyler Boyd and Jay Higgins? Tyler Boyd ended up being the uh, lucky recipient of the big game, and had a very impressive and a damn good catch and run where it looks like he was gonna be was gonna have his clock cleaned, and ended up absorbing the hit staying on his feet and took it the distance uh, for an explosive Bengals touchdown, which if you're a Bengals fan, such as you're truly watching that game, you're like, okay, that's the Bengals I've, I've, you know, that, that we saw last year. And that's the Bengals that we've been begging for to see over the last uh, first three, over the first three weeks of the new season. You know, that, that is what you're looking for. That is what you want. Um, now it's just a matter of consistency and can they do it again for the second time in five days coming again, coming up, uh, when they play Miami on Thursday night, that's, that's just the only question. Can they re- have repeat performance? And can they do it again? You took care of the jets fine, but they're the jets. No Mike, no, uh, Mike white specials this time, this, this year around. Great. Now, five, now move on, put it in a rear view mirror, essentially within a 24 hour period. 
move on to the only undefeated team in the AFC that's look that's uh, that's feeling themselves after beating after beating the Ravens and the Bills in back to back weeks and go out there put them in a place little reset button you know kind of bring the hype or the expectations down to earth a little bit as Daniel mentioned in the previous segment with the fan base. And and show them, hey, we're the Cincinnati Bengals. We're the defending AFC champions. We're here to stay. We're back, you know. And then head into the weekend. This upcoming weekend, two and two, reset button. Essentially, you know, wiping the slate clean of the first two losses. Head into the Ravens. Head head into the Sunday night game in Baltimore against the Ravens on October the ninth with a couple extra days off. With even at five hundred at two and two, and watch and then see what the uh and then see what the Steelers do against the Jets, and see what the Ravens, uh, and see what the Ravens do against um, uh, against Buffalo, but uh, but the Bengals got to take care of business. They gotta they gotta they gotta keep up the intensity and keep off and keep up the fluidness with the offense. You know, Burrow one. High, you know, gets the ball. One, two, three. Balls out of his hand. I want to see Joe Mixon. I want to see the running game incorporated a little bit more. I also want to see. Uh, I want to also see them not get complacent. Even you know, one if I you know, and it's me. So of course I'm a nitpick. If there's something that I saw from the Jet game and I didn't like was the fact that they essentially got they they got their big lead. They had their they waited. They didn't wait in order for them to go off in the second half and the fourth quarter like they had the previous two weeks. They went out there and got after it in the first half and essentially said, okay, that's fine. You know, we'll essentially let the Jets be the Jets and beat themselves. And it almost came to a situation where if the Jets would have put the ball in the end zone a couple of would have put the ball in the end zone a couple of times, you would have had yourself a ball game when the, when it when there was no need for it to be a ball game. So you would like I would have liked the Bengals to beat them to beat them thirty seven to twelve, not twenty seven to twelve. But you know if that means that they got to save their energy and sh- and save their points up against the Dolphins with two has been when two has been sensational first three weeks of the season and he going up against Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle that may be a good idea we shall see coming up on uh, on Thursday night but you know but even if they even if you know the Dolphins for whatever reason they don't show up or whatever Bengals get out to an early lead, have a dominant first half keep it going. No, don't take your foot off the gas and no, you got to keep, you got to put the stake through them and put the bullet through, 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 you got to go for the jugular. You're up 27, 27, 3, 27 and 10, finish the deal. Give, give, give me 30, 35, 40, 40 points. Put the stake through them and put them down. They didn't do it against the Jets, a better opponent. They may not get so lucky, or if they do end up walking out of there with a W, it won't, it won't, it won't, it won't be so easy as it was on Sunday. And I also like the fact and Burrow and Zach, if you paid attention to their press conferences leading up to the uh, Jet game, they had implied that they they had implied without really coming out and saying it that they, that their mindset was to if they won the toss. Uh, to go out and take the and take the opening kickoff rather than to defer to the second half, just because of just how slow and lethargic the offense has been, especially in the first half, and then and even more particularly the first quarter, first two games of the season leading up to the Jet game. We'll see if they have that same philosophy against this Dolphins team 
come uh, come Thursday night. But I'm looking forward to this game. It's the Bengals' first of five primetime uh, games coming up for them this season. Thursday night football. Uh, week f- Thursday night football. Week four against the lone undefeated team in the AFC. Against the Miami Dolphins, it's the whiteout game. They got the white tiger uniforms with the new alternate white, with the new white tiger white alternate helmet, which I absolutely love. And the, that uniform is chef's kiss, the best damn looking uniform, if not in the entire National Football League, but in all of American uh, team sports. That uniform is 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 just a, is uh, it's it's eye candy. To look at absolutely gorgeous uniform, and and the uniform that they're wearing, by the way, is the old. Remember when the NFL had all the thirty-two teams with the color rush? When you know back, they're trying to draw more eyeballs and more hype to Thursday night football. Uh, you know, back in the day, they're wearing the old quote unquote old. They're like six, seven years old, but the old th- uh, Thursday or five, six years old. The old quote unquote. TNF color rush uniforms tomorrow night with the white helmet. Why? My guess is that the old color rush compared to the quote unquote new color rush that you've seen the more, um, that you that you've seen the more, um, you haven't seen them more yet this season. What you saw last season that they wore in that they wore in Nashville and Kansas City in the playoff games, the most recent time. Um, my guess looking at it is that the new ones have a little bit more orange incorporated in the uniform than the color rush does the, the, or excuse me, old school color rush does with going off of the old, unif- old, uh, uniform design for the Bengals that they ditched, uh, at the end of the 2020 season. Um, the older one that they're wearing Thursday night doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of orange incorporated in outside of the B bangle logo, the Nike swoosh on the sleeve and the name and the trim and the trimming of the nameplate. But the, but the numbers itself are the numbers itself. It's solid, but it's solid. It's black trim. And of course the numbers are black. For the for the for the uh, for the numbering, but the only thing that's orange is a Nike swoosh, the Bengals logo, obviously the the uh, with the B, not the lettering that you that you see in the newer uniforms. But going back to the B look, um, with the uh, with the orange trim on the uh, on the uh, on the nameplate, and the newer one has you know orange trim on the uh, on the numbers. And I want on on and I wonder also if the uh, if you know if the they call them TV numbers the numbers that they have on the show on, on top of the show I wonder if that has anything to do with their decision as well because if you notice the new Bengals uniforms don't have the numbers on the on top of the shoulders it's just on the front and on the back of the jersey old you know kind of old school style but. They're bringing back the old Bengal, Bengals uniform concept in the form of the color rush white Bengal for the game coming up on uh, on Thursday night, and that and the only reason why they're bringing them back is, and I guess for every reason they don't want to use the regular white on white combination that they already have. Their reasoning, I think, I read when they announced this back in the off season, is that the NFL apparently has a rule. 
where teams can't change uniforms or add a uniform in back-to-back, you know, seasons. They change the uniform and unveil new uniforms uh, at the end of the 2020 season in the spring of 2021. I guess they can't do it, you know, until 2023 or 2024, somewhere along those lines, uh, which is why they had to go back into the vote, ironically enough, hashtag throwback Thursday and bring uh, the uh, old school Bengals, uh, bring the old school Bengals uniforms back. Um, so that, but it should be a, uh, should be an interesting, entertaining game. And lastly, uh, Albert Pujols, 700 home runs. Congratulations to him. Two home run night, uh, in Chavez Ravine, uh, when the, as the, when the Cardinals, uh, who are your NL Central Division champions, by the way, uh, took on the Dodgers over the weekend, two home run night, home run 699 and 700. Congratulations to him. Not counting Barry Bonds cheating a fraud who can't, you know, put an asterisk. You want to keep it fine, put an asterisk next to his name. I don't look at him as legitimate. He is the third player, not the fourth in 150 plus year history of Major League Baseball to hit 700 home runs. Only two other guys, Hank Aaron, the home run king. And the the all time home run king and Babe Ruth only two players in the history of the sport that can that outside of Albert Pujols that can say that. Another thing is if Albert Pujols's accomplishment isn't already crazy, I I I I I feel confident enough to say without fear of contradiction that I think you will not see another player at least in our lifetime. And probably in the younger generation's lifetime, this would be this might most likely be the last time you'll ever see a player in the history of uh, of the of the sport and of the league of Major League Baseball hit 700 home runs in their career without any performance enhancing you know uh, aidments. That's the that's the most impressive thing, at least in 21st century baseball that he did it cleanly, 700 home runs. I mean that is just that that is absolutely ridiculous. They don't call him the machine for nothing. One of the greatest right-handed hitters in the history of the sport, 700 home runs. The third legitimate guy in the history of the sport to do so. You're in the company of the Bambino and Hank Aaron, God rest his soul. You know you you, you know you you know. Sure, a living legend, Albert Pujols. Congratulations to him. And that is a show of the um, a new show of the a new episode of the Amtelicatelius podcast that is in the books. If you like what you heard and are new to the program, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Twitter at Amtel underscore it is the show on Instagram at Amtel underscore podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, folks. Enjoy Thursday Night Football. Who they say going to beat the Bengals? Hopefully not the Dolphins. I'll talk to you Friday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all be blessed. See ya.